HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is dedicated to providing the most up-to-date information and news on the food industry. Interviews with chefs and in-depth pieces on food systems take listeners literally from the farm to the fork. Can you hear this anywhere else? Nope. Press the donate button on our website and learn how you can become a founding member and support the station. Greenhorns, this is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, a radio show about young farmers featuring young farmers with conversations between young farmers and for the benefit of the future of agriculture. Greenhorns, this is Severin, this is Greenhorns Radio, and today I'm on the phone with Jessica from Vermont, who's running the UVM Beginning Farmer Program there, yet another program made possible by our land-grant system and the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Project, which is funded by the Farm Bill. How's it going, Jessica? How's the weather up there? Oh, geez, we're doing good. It is um, a little bit cooler than it has been, which is a bit of a relief, and very rainy right now, So, um, which we, we definitely needed some rain. It's been unseasonably hot and dry. Too hot. Yeah, Way too, too hot. hot. <laughs> would, you, would you mind just describing your, your program that you have there in the, in the basic organizational way? Sure. So um, the project that I help coordinate is the Vermont New Farmer Project. Um, It is funded, like you said, by the BFRDP um, grant from the USDA, um, and it is a collaboration of the organizations in Vermont that serve new farmers, and our hope is to streamline access to resources and services for new farmers so that their time from startup to being a successful, sustainable business um, is shortened. Um, we want to increase, you know, um, the success rate and the time it takes to become successful. So you, like, like us, are working in that critical moment of the beginning of the career and working to support that person staying in farming and not getting frustrated and burnt out and tired and grumpy. Right. Um, and what are, what are some of the challenges that you are identifying most frequently in the farmers who are taking your course as factors for success and also the troubles? Yeah, I mean, we 
we're working with a real diversity of farmers here in Vermont, and it's um, it's interesting because each uh, kind of uh, type of person who comes to farming has different challenges. So when we've looked at, um, you know, we have our website and, you know, an email list and people sign up for more information, and when we kind of look at those people who are signing up for us, we're finding that, you know, 40, 40% are in that under 35 age group, um, and but about 40% are also over 45. And so those two groups of um, new farmers have different skill sets and different needs. Um, you know, we look at, you know, critical access areas. So obviously access to production knowledge and experience on the farm. You know, there's also access to land is a real critical issue, access to capital and access to markets. And so we really look at each individual that's coming to us and um, assessing, you know, what, what do they have? You know, often farmers who are coming who are in the over 45 range might have better access to capital. You know, they have equity. They have some resources they're bringing. They often have land that they're bringing. Um, and so what we're working with them on is really access to production knowledge and skills. Um, for the younger farmers, access to capital and access to land are typically um, the biggest barriers. Um, you know, they're out there working on farms, they're apprentices, they're interns. A lot of them have, you know, moved into farm management positions. Um, and then, you know, they want to start their own enterprise and helping them address, you know, the capital and land issues become really critical. The thing that I'm really, that's really become clear to me is how, how ill, ill, uh, ill-positioned many young people are for the kinds of negotiations um, that, that they would need to, to pursue to get sustainable tenure, ill-positioned in terms of uh, uh, the, their history as an employee. If you're farming, at, if you start young farming, then you're farming in different regions every season and you're a, a seasonal employee and earning not very much. And then, in all likelihood, you don't own a home, so you haven't got uh, a bunch of equity. Um, and that, you know, while many, many pieces of land, you know, would conceivably be available to you, that because you're moving around so much in the early part of your career, you aren't making the kinds of community relationships uh, that, would, that would help you connect with those landowners. Mm -hmm. uh, could you... Could you maybe talk a little bit about, so we Greenhorns are working now um, with New York State Ag Mediation Service to basically teach workshops on negotiation and, and professional communication because we yeah, felt I like that, that was coming through. Um, what, are, what are some of the ways that you see people making those linkages and kind of overcoming that core challenge of, of moving from kind of a vagrant farm worker to uh, 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 settled, uh, committed to a particular community uh, farm operator. Yeah, I think you know. I think that commitment is is a, a key word there. And and you know what we encourage um, new farmers to see the progression towards owning their own, uh, their own farm business um, as a, kind of a long term objective and um, the idea that you know, going from, 
you know, landless and without a farm business to owning that farm is going to take more than a year. Um, and having a commitment to a place and to a location, um, you know, where someone decides they, you know, this is it, this is where I want to farm, um, to start building those relationships and and building those connections with your community, um, with, you know, the service providers in your area, um, with the resources that are available to you so that you can build those connections and start, uh, you know, making the relationships that are going to make that future land ownership or land tenure, whether, you know, leasing and, you know, all of those alternative ideas are really working here in Vermont, and it's pretty exciting. So, um, but looking at it as, you know, a five-year plan versus a one-year plan um, to get to that place. And I think that uh, we have a great resource online called uh, The Guide to Financing the Community-Supported Farm, and that really looks at um, how a lot of, uh, or several farmers, there's some case studies in there, but how farmers are trying to finance their farm operations through alternative capital. Um, and there's a lot of exciting things happening on that front, uh, you know, that isn't going through the traditional, um, you know, bank and lending services. So uh, people are exploring those options as well, you know, especially when you're not bringing a lot of capital and a lot of equity um, to a new business um, that is, you know, something that can work for people. Um, but really looking at that progression, and uh, we have an interesting farm here in southern Vermont that, um, you know, they were in this situation that you were talking about, and, and they kind of found their place, and they started working on farms, um, making connections in the area and staying in one place. And through those connections, um, you know, they met an old farmer who leased them an acre of land, and from there it just, um, you know, different community members through their CSA got excited and offered them other pieces of land which allowed them to expand. And, you know, those community connections, I think, are what's really vital in creating, um, you know, a vibrant farm business. And this, so that the opposite, it's like the opposite of NIMBY. It's like, you know, you're asking of a community, you're asking that community kind of to help you find land, but you're offering to that community your services over the long haul uh, in stewarding the land and, and watching for water quality and producing local food security, and so that you know it's almost it's almost it's almost like a like a bargain, like a like a community negotiation. Like I'm committed here. Now you guys help me right. you know, help me figure it out. Yeah, and I have just, you know, I have to say, um, I don't know if Vermont is a unique place or if this is happening all over the country, but, you know, talking to new farmers, I've heard amazing stories about communities coming together to support new farmers, um, you know, either through offering land. With Hurricane Irene last year, we had one um, brand-new farmer who literally lost their land. It was washed away by the river, um, down to bedrock, all of their soil. And, um, you know, the community that came around to support them, um, offering them land, offering support, helping them find a new location was, was amazing. And, you know, other farms who, you know, have been on leased land and they're, 
uh, the land has gone up for sale, and the community has come together and worked with the Vermont Land Trust to help them purchase the land because the community didn't want to lose the farm. Um, so I think that you know the power uh, that those community connections have um, for new farmers is not to be underestimated. And and also, just like you said, I think there's um, people see or are recognizing more the value um, of having a farm and in their community, and and like you said, the stewardship of the land and the water quality and the access to healthy local food, um, you know, that is a, um, a a value that's being recognized, and that uh, I think farmers and community members um, are working together and acknowledging that the importance there. So, um, you know, that's that's a really important piece to remember. Yeah, and so so many times we you know we're we're having you know we're we're operating our businesses in the real world in the real economy and 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 yet so much of what happens in agriculture is luck and weather and circumstance and and uh, and a lot of it ha- is non-monetary and so I feel like it's very important to hear out of your mouth as a beginning farmer service providing professional. You know, and also, you know, similar similar observation about the kind of magical force that is present when it's when it's about you know young people and non young people getting into farming. Okay, so but that away from the magic. Uh, <laughs> if people are interested in going into uh, your program, um, but they, maybe they look at Vermont and they think, well, you know, Vermont is it's just too easy. Uh, the <laughs> legislators in Vermont are, you know, completely into sustainability. It's basically a mafia up there. How could there possibly be any market share, especially around Burlington? No way. I'm going to move to Arkansas. Who have you been talking farming. to, Severin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would we, we say to someone like that? You know, yeah, I what's, think there what's are... your retort? Yeah, there are there are niches everywhere, and I think you know one of the exciting things is just how creative and and the entrepreneurial spirit that um, new farmers bring to their businesses. And um, we were talking to one you know farmer the other day, and he was just talking about you know he is planning his business. Um, he's planning for change. He knows that the markets he has now aren't going to last forever. And he is constantly, you know, refiguring and, um, bringing his creative spirit to his farm to offer what consumers want, you know? So I think there, I think there's tons of opportunity in Vermont, um, and, and beyond, you know, I think that, um, you know, we, we are definitely cr- trying to create a hub here with our services for Vermont farmers, but a lot of the resources that we have online um, are, cl- are online classes. We have monthly webinars the last Tuesday um, evening of every month. Um, there's a lot of information uh, and resources online that farmers in any region can really take advantage of to help build their business. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, the door is wide open for uh, creative people to come to farming in Vermont um, and the surrounding area. And what I'm waiting for is uh, states to start offering bounties in the in the in the. Well, we just came across. We're doing research now for the Young Farmers Almanac, uh, which is a publication for new farmers. And 
uh, obviously the weather is changing, so our weather predictions are not predicted to be accurate. But <laughs> one of the well, some of the research has turned up materials from Alaska from the nineteen tens and twenties, basically uh, offering farmers a bounty to come and start dairy farms in Alaska. Oh, interesting. Because that had been identified. And I know that in some counties in Iowa, uh, the, the local taxes are waived for farm owners, farmland owners who lease their land to beginning farmers. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of these the new projects. What What's going on? I know about the new Food Venture Center. I went and visited it in Hardwick. Um, but maybe you could just give a little set of highlights of what's happening in Vermont uh, in this kind of, in this young farmer space. Yeah, I, I think the idea of incentives um, is, is strong. And, um, you know, there's some interesting uh, work being done in the gleaning community to offer farmers incentive um, for donating their farm produce to um, food banks and food shelves and things like that. Um, you know, there are a lot of um, amazing uh, things happening around food hubs in Vermont. Um, the, you know, there's a whole list of them, but there's a lot more energy. Um, people really trying to facilitate the distribution of local farm products um, to Vermont communities and beyond, and also to facilitate uh, creating value-added products that consumers are really looking for, again, in Vermont and beyond. And so these food hubs are becoming, you know, use the word magical, but kind of this magical place where, um, you know, people with great ideas for uh, value-added product come together with farmers who are creating really excellent um, farm you know, produce, and they're creating these products that are are selling great. So, uh, you know, the food hub and the opportunity in Vermont um, around the food hubs, I think, is is pretty exciting. Um, you know, I think that there also is a lot of um, effort going into uh, the educating uh the young farmer, the intern, and the apprentice. Um, NOFA Vermont, uh, the Northeast Organic Farming Association of Vermont, has a, a strong apprenticeship program. They've also initiated a journeyman farmers program or a journey person farmers program, um, which uh, takes people who are beyond the apprentice and gives them additional technical assistance and um, access to education to help support them in taking the next, next steps towards starting their farm business. Uh, so I think there's a lot of support um, available for people who are serious about starting a farm business here. Uh, and then we have, you know, another, I think, excellent program that we have in Vermont um, is our Farm Viability Program, and that is geared towards farmers who um, are ready uh, to write a business plan, to scale up, to do enterprise analysis, to really take their farm uh, business to the next level. And that is provided by UVM Extension, um, as well as the Vermont Housing and Conservation Board, um, the Intervale Center, and uh, No for Vermont. Uh, and it's one-on-one technical assistance for farm businesses uh, for 18 months. And that 
that program, I have to say, I think has been critical to the success of many farms in Vermont and um, giving them the right technical information and assistance and business analysis that really allows them to become successful as well as sustainable. So, um, yeah. Well, and these, this, the powerhouse of NOFA was made, uh, NOFA Vermont was made clear to me when uh, um, Pete of Pete's Greens had a barn fire. And I feel like in, yeah, the, in the course of a month, they, they raised, like, NOFA Vermont raised something like $3 million. Anyway, and they started a fund for other people's farms because, uh, for, like, other tragedies because uh, they raised more yeah. than he needed. Yeah, but uh, again, I just I feel like we should just riff a little on this and and talk about these kind of informal infrastructures that arise from the needs that are articulated by communities such as ours. And uh, I was talking with my father this weekend about CSAs and kind of uh, alternative economies, and mm-hmm. he said, "Oh yeah, well you know jazz, the jazz came about." or jazz was jazz musicians were supported because African Americans weren't allowed to have health life insurance. And so they had these life insurance societies and they met every weekend and paid a little money into the fund that was basically a revolving loan fund um for for life insurance and that the party was played by jazz musicians. So that the kind of armature of self help and peer to peer lending also had enough had enough kind of money mojo to support the cultural production of jazz and of the jazz musicians. Yeah, and I felt like that was such a good example of the kinds of the the right scale of of infrastructure that we ourselves can invent and perpetuate in our own communities, and not only rely on the big banks yeah. to, to lend. And- and I think you know, I'll, I've um, several farmers I know have financed um, major infrastructure development um, and expansion of their businesses through uh, through their CSAs, through CSA members. Um, you know, and they offer them. You know, some people get paid back in the bounty of the farm. Um, some people, you know, get paid back with interest over a certain period of time. Um, but the access um, to capital farmers are finding can be right in their backyard, um, uh, right in their community. And, and that's a very, um, again, another powerful note about, you know, uh, staying in one place and building those connections and making that commitment um, because I think the commitment will be re- returned to you um, you know, we also have had farms um, in our area uh, be really successful with Kickstarter campaigns. I'm sure you're aware of, of those. But uh, we had one um, young farming couple who uh, did a Kickstarter com- campaign and raised money to uh, build rice paddies um, on their farm. They're uh, experimenting with growing rice at a commercial scale now. So um, I think that is really exciting. And there's actually some local um, funds similar to Kickstarter um, that are starting based in Vermont um, to help initiate those kinds of projects as well. So, um, you know, I think that creative capital idea is great. 
super val- super valuable and 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 it's where if we're looking at towards the future at the kinds of cliff cliffs at the kinds of shifts and transitions in what kind of farming is happening on the land and is it done sustainably we're moving away from commodity we're you know experimenting with new cropping systems and rotations and you know tillage radishes and you know there's a lot of innovation that will be required and all of that means that some vent amount of venture you know venture investment and experimentation um beyond the capacity of the experimentation stations of the of the land grants um is certainly going to be a part of that equation and i'm happy also to see a lot of willingness to try to try new things and and to, to take that on another example while we're on the finance topic um is the bread and butter farm financed their greenhouse, new greenhouse construction with the local co-op. And basically the local co-op wanted to order more greens and she said, no, we haven't got any more greens. And then they said, well, why not? And she said, well, because my my hoop house fell over in the March, last March there was that terrible storm. Yeah. And she said, so sorry, you know, unless you wanted to buy me a new greenhouse, then you can have all you want. And then they called back five minutes later, and they're like, "What would it cost to finance your greenhouse?" <laughs> and right. so she signed an agreement with them, and then they, and they are going to get all the greens from her greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, not forever, just for the first year. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's that's a great example, and you know, and I I also think that as as businesses grow and as farmers, um, you know. Get past you know those those first few years of farming um, are some of the you know the most expensive. Um, not only is there all the infrastructure um, investment and you know trying to access land, but it's also the time when you're making the most mistakes. You haven't figured out your efficiencies. You don't know what you're the best at growing and what you need to you know table for another time. And so it's you know it it's pretty. Uh, not only is it is it risky as any new business is, but it's um, it's just challenging to to figure all of that out. And uh, and I think you know when when I've seen farmers cresting over that, you know, still new farmers. We consider anyone you know with less than ten years um, farming uh, a new farmer. Um, but when they crest out of that time period, then you know these investments, um, you know getting the greenhouse, getting the tractor that's going to bring more efficiencies. They, it becomes more manageable within their own financial um, picture to make those investments to, to get a traditional loan or, or not um, and, and grow their business that way. So, you know, I think different times in the business, um, growth and structure, these different uh, modes are really important, um, you know, and I, and I, I think that it's, Again, so exciting that that farmers are using their creativity and communities are so supportive in trying to make um, make this all work. Well, I hope we can continue this conversation because I I am very hopeful that more and new ways uh, for this, especially this startup phase, um, capitalizing in the startup phase, will arise, and that we just had a. I just had a talk at the New Economies Conference, and the conversation just kept coming back to this issue. And 
um, how do we support this kind of entrepreneurship that we need to take fire. Um, so we, we Greenhorns are working on a beginning farmer's guide to finance, and I'll love it if I could email you about it. Oh, but, yeah, um, I would love to see that. And I'd encourage you know, anyone out there to check out um, our guide to financing the community-supported farm, which is on our website. Um, can I do a plug here for the website? It's, Please, yeah, uh, plug all your everything. Plug your thing. All right, it's um, uh, uvm.edu uh, slash newfarmer. Um, that's where you'll find all of our resources, or you can just, Google um, Vermont New Farmer Project, and it should come right up. But, um, yeah, there's, we do have a whole um, section on business management and financial information. Um, you could find a lot of resources there and, and some great case studies um, and stories about farmers and how they got going. And we're actually working on a great project this summer. We're, gonna, we're going out and visiting farms and getting video um, talking about just this issue about how did they get started and how did they scale up to being, you know, full-time sustainable farmers. Um, so we're hoping that we'll be putting that stuff on the web pretty soon, too, because we feel like those stories about, you know, how do people actually do it are so valuable um, for anybody who's interested in getting started. For anyone who's interested in getting started and also for their family, because every time I go home and have just have dinner with you know, friends of family, they're, every time they say, well, what's the economic viability? This just sounds yeah. like a, a fairy tale. It's and, interesting. You know, you know, I'm, just kind of, I'm sick of telling them. Over, <laughs> I want there to be, like, I want it on MTV and NPR. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like it should be my job to also convince them, you know, especially yeah. in, in the beginning of where we're not, you know, my farm is not yet viable uh, as yeah. a career, but. But uh, well, any you know any new business for doing you know, that. they say it's 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 five year you know it's five years for any business to start cash flowing and to you know start seeing a prospect you know it's um, that that's like typical for any new business and and farming is no different and I think you know I was actually reflecting on um, you know when I um, was interested in in thinking about farming myself and um, and how there weren't a lot of good models out there. Um, and now I feel like I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, my God, there are so many great models out there of really excellent farmers who are doing a really good job managing and are also, um, just like you said, economically viable. And, uh, and I feel like, you know, those people who took the risk and, um, and really have made it work have really provided a an excellent, um, you know, excellent ground for the future and for all these new farmers who are coming along to model their businesses on. So um, I think it's, it's um, you know... It, and the willingness a, to open up their books future. and be totally transparent. Yeah. Is, you, know, you know, people astounding really gift. want to share. Okay, so we're very happy for all that you've shared, and we've run out of time. I'm sorry, I forgot. All I wasn't right, looking all right. very well. And Jess, Jessica, and you can find her at the Vermont Beginning Farmer Project, and we're happy to know that the Brown Amendment was passed and Beginning Farmer and Rancher uh, program was uh, saved for now, but we must all be attentive to the National Young Farmer Listserv uh, because there's going to come up again in the House. And, no, wait, we went through the House and now it's going through the Senate? Oh, golly. I think the Senate, I think it was the reverse. I think the Senate, it's a, uh, 
maintained it. And <laughs> okay, well, both we all need to learn a lot more about how democracy works because sometimes it doesn't work in our favor uh, as beginning farm program people. But uh, if you're on the listserv of the National Young Farmers Coalition, you will get the the message when to call in, and I hope you do so. I did so, and then the next day we got emails saying, oh, it worked. So the next time uh, is in the next coming weeks. So be on alert. Okay, thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.